Acts chapter 7, we are <clears throat> studying verse by verse through the book of Acts, line by line, and uh, just trying to soak up everything we can find in every verse. And we've come to chapter 8, but before we get to chapter 8, I want to go back and try to remember what we learned two weeks ago, but we had Resurrection Sunday last week. But uh, we better remind ourselves what happened at the end of chapter 7, okay? Because something big happened at the very end of chapter 7. If you remember, a guy named Stephen had just died. Look there in chapter 7 and verse 57. Then they, that, then they cried out with a loud voice. That's the Jewish leaders. And they stopped their ears. They didn't want to hear Stephen preach anymore. And they ran upon him with one accord and they cast him out of the city, and they stoned him. That is rough. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Now, that name is going to show up a lot from now on. Verse 59, and they stoned Stephen, who was calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down, he cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Please forgive them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now, that was rough. That was probably one of the most traumatic things any Christian could ever watch is somebody who's just telling the truth, just exposing the sins of religious people, and then those religious people stoning. And so it was very visible, visual. And from that moment on, from here on, things get really rough for the Christians. Uh, you have. Uh, uh, um, persecution beginning like we've never experienced in our lives. Christians are being driven out of Jerusalem. And uh, just uh, if you if you look in um, verse chapter 8 and verse 1, it says, And Saul was consenting unto Stephen's death. He was agreeing that it was a proper thing to do to stone him. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all, and I'd like you to circle that word, scattered. Because that's Christianity. I know we all want to come together. And I'm trying to get us together, assemble together. But God wants us to spread out and to reach our world. So there began a time called a scattering abroad throughout all the regions. And watch the, watch the pattern of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. Okay, so what you get is, as I already said, Saul becomes this great threat, but a scattering begins um uh this um this scattering is um uh driving people into all directions now i have to say this christians we need to be able to have disasters in our life and we still speak up and we still praise god don't ever be scattered and silenced at the same time so when things are rough and you're being driven away from where you want to be don't be silenced because the Lord is still on the throne. Jesus is still coming back, and there's a purpose why he's allowing that to happen in your life. So well, we want to look at what is the, the result of all of this scattering um, uh, of the Christians from Jerusalem. All right, so read, continue in, in verse 2. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. It was the saddest day they had ever experienced since the death of Jesus. And as for Saul, here's our big verse here. He made havoc. We'd say mayhem. We'd say 
disaster. He made havoc of the church. What was he doing? Entering into every house, inhaling, dragging men and women, and committed them to prison. Therefore, here's our word again, they that were scattered abroad, they went everywhere preaching the word. They were not silenced. So what we've got here is Philip. We come to verse 5, and we find out where's Philip? Verse 5 says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria, and he preached Christ unto them. Now, who's this guy, Philip? Philip's one of those seven we met back in chapter 6 who was, a, who was appointed and ordained to serve widows. Isn't that funny? We don't make big uh, uh, our, our positions and our hierarchies. We make big of servants. That's who we're focused on. Anybody who ever wants to be a pastor must be servant of all. It must start at the lowest. And what we think is, we go, well, I'll go get educated. I'll go get some training. I'll go get some experience, and I'll be a good um, leader in a church. No. You'll clean toilets. You'll teach Sunday school. You'll drive buses. You'll mow grass. And that may help you be a great pastor, a great leader in the church. David, the greatest king in all of uh, Israel's history was a good shepherd, wasn't he? See, we've got it all backwards. We want people who are like Elon Musk and have a lot of money and a lot of, you know, wisdom and a lot of uh, finesse and stuff. We want these kind of people to be our leaders. Don't look for that. We have chosen the wrong leaders, haven't we, for the longest time because we've looked at their finesse, for, at, at their abilities instead of at their service, at their real service. So who's this Philip? He's a deacon. He's been forced to flee for his life. So he heads north. He enters into no man's land. He heads from, from Jerusalem, which is in Judea, and heads due north straight up to Samaria. A normal Jew would go around Samaria up to Galilee, but not Philip. Philip heads up to this place that was full of false religion, full of half-breed Jews and Syrians. The Jews were not welcome there. And the Samaritans were not welcome in Israel. And yet we find in our Bible, Jesus loved going through Samaria, didn't he? So isn't it wonderful that Jesus affected the next generation? How is your Christianity? Does it affect anybody or does it ruin them? Jesus loved the Samaritans and into Samaria, Philip went. And do you know what he did when he started, when, when he got there? We just read it there. He started preaching. Read there again in chapter uh, 8 and verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria, and he preached Christ unto them. Now, I believe Jesus is coming back. I believe in end-time prophecy, and I believe in, in um, uh, sanctification. But what's the greatest and the best message to preach anytime you can? Christ. His life. His death. His burial. His resurrection. His words. He went down there, and he preached his heart out. Do you know what he actually was reminding them? Back there, a man died. Remember Jesus who came through here and was such a help to you Samaritans? Well, he got murdered. <gasps> That's okay. They buried him. <gasps> Three days later, he got up. <gasps> and he's coming again, and he loves you, and he wants you saved. He wants us? Yes. What a great message. I'll tell you this again. The, the defining factor of why I got saved because, and I don't think the woman who, who gave me the gospel, her name was Maureen Smith. She's still alive. I still hug her every time I see her and love her to death. You know, she said to me that got my attention. She said, and God wants you. 
when he put his son on that cross, he had you in mind, Craig. And I didn't understand that, but it sure got me because that's what the Samaritans need to hear. Because as far as the Samaritans were concerned, God didn't want them. The Jews constantly said, you're half-breeds. You're not welcome. Your parents went away from God. You're, you're worshiping your own way. And so they says, fine. And here comes Philip saying, you need to get in. And Jesus got an open door and he wants you. And boy, do they get saved. Look at verse six. The, um, the people here are just gonna rejoice. And the people with one accord, like a block, they gave heed unto those things which Philip spake. They hung on every word, hearing, and then seeing the miracles which he did. It wasn't over. What had happened when Jesus came through was still there. Verse seven, for unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them and many taken with salt palsies and that, and that were lame were healed. And there was what? Great joy. Couldn't we use a good dose of that? Folks, I, I, I have to say this, but when you enter that door and you realize what's gonna happen here and who you're gonna be with and who you're gonna focus on, there ought to be great joy. This ought to be the, the happiest place. You know what? We're not going to swing from the chandeliers. We don't have any chandeliers. But man, I mean, I, I, I really, we had a hard week. It's been a blessed week, but I want to have joy now. I need joy today. They had joy. They were excited. There was, there was just the beginning of revival. Even a guy named Simon the Sorcerer gets saved. Look at verse 9. There was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery. We call it magic. He used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. And to him, that was probably his hashtag on, on uh, Twitter, you know. Anyway. Verse 11, and to him they gave regard, they had regard because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip, when he watched that crowd, believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and preaching the name of Jesus Christ. And he watches as they were baptized, both men and women, then Simon himself. Does it say he got baptized? What did he do first? He believed. And, and, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and he wondered, he was amazed beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Who's this Simon the sorcerer now? Okay, this guy is not a Jew, he's a Samaritan, but he's had a very powerful man in that area. He was a sorcerer. He's like Merlin, he's like Lord of the Rings. He's like, uh, you know, uh, What's that other book? Harry Potter. He was a magician, but not like the modern day ones. He was someone who was able to speak spells and do miracles. We call him a fortune teller, an astrologer. He would be hired to curse somebody and to ruin their crops. He would be sought, his, his, his wisdom was sought to guide people's decisions. Now, often sorcerers use drugs. That's how come. Sometimes the word sorcerer is pharmakeia in your Bible, which means pharmaceutical. Haven't you noticed how many people 
hand up when they took Oxycontin and when they took some of these medicines that were pushed with heroin, pushed on them saying, oh, this will help you. This will help you sleep. And they're seeing demons, man. And they're trying to kill themselves. That's sorcery. It's strange that people enjoy sorcery. I don't know why you, why, why any Christian would want to go to a fortune teller and say, tell me, am I ever going to get married? <laughs> no. <laughs> people enjoy the fact that, you know, crystal balls, spells, wizards, Harry Potter, I don't know. This guy bewitched people, which means he mesmerized them. They were just awed at his power. Now, what he did was he had it made. People were nearly worshiping him. He, was, he had the largest number of followers on Instagram in the day. There were people liking him on Facebook and listening to him give his superior opinion, just like most of these movie stars do. If there's one group of people who do not deserve to be listened to, it's movie stars. They're actors. That's all they are. Yet it made, that is, until Philip preached a greater power. And he preached a greater name than Simon. He preached the name of Jesus. And that's when the entire group of Samaritans dumped everything they used to believe. They, up until that moment, Philip had come in there and they believed with all their heart that the Jewish people were their enemies and that they were the enemies of the Jewish people. But when Philip preached, they turned from that wrong belief to where they said, brother. <laughs> and they were family now. They dumped that attitude. They dumped their religion. They thought their religion was just as good as the Jewish. It wasn't. But they came to find out that Jesus' kingdom of God was still greater than the Old Testament kingdoms of David and Solomon. They dumped the ideas about themselves. They had always believed that they were good people. Now they're admitting they were lost without hope unless they got saved. Amen. You know, that's very important for every person. A lot of people come to God with baggage and say, I'm here. I'm ready to go to heaven. And the Lord says, drop the baggage. Dump it all. And they dumped it the moment they lined up to get baptized. What a sight to see thousands of Samaritan people getting baptized. And what's crazy is Simon the sorcerer gets saved the same way. Now, um, verse 14, now when the apostles which were in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received um, the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come <clears throat> uh, down, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. So wanna, I want you to understand, this, is, uh, this was amazing. The apostles down in Jerusalem hear of these Samaritans getting converted. They're now following Jesus. They're back to following the word of God. They had been for the last 700 years, for 700 years earlier, they had rejected almost all of the Bible. They still held to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, but they didn't want to be Jewish. And so the, the apostles thought, the Samaritans can't get saved. I hope you've never thought that they're so-and-so and they can't get saved. I hope you've never thought that. Because that's what the Jews felt. 
This was something new. The Samaritans were getting saved and baptized. They were listening to a Jew preach. They never listened to somebody preach, and they were loving it. Wait a minute. So those apostles decided to, to walk 40 miles. All right. I felt like for the last three days we've walked 40 miles. But they walked 40 miles north to go up to Samaria to see for themselves and to check this out. When they got there and they saw everybody listening to Philip preach, they prayed for them. Don't ever discount it when somebody says, I prayed for you today. They prayed for them. And then they laid their hands on those new Bible, those new believing Christians. And they started speaking with other languages. Now you say, oh, oh what's the meaning of that? Very simple. The Jews in, in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost the thing that proved that they were now in a new covenant was the promise of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on them. And they were able to speak in an unknown language, a language they had never heard before. And here they were speaking with all these different languages. And then all of a sudden you got these Samaritans and they're doing the same thing. Guess what they were? They had received the same Holy Spirit that all the Jews had back in Jerusalem and they were brethren. They're just as saved as those Jews were. Now, I want you to understand that uh, uh, every believer needs the Holy Spirit in their life. You know why? You can't live the Christian life without him. Jesus just didn't give you a new set of rules to live by. No. He actually said, I'm going to have to get in there and help you. <laughs> I'm going to have to actually motivate you. I'm going to have to actually give you joy. I'm going to have to actually speak louder than your old heart because your old heart got burned out years ago. Your conscience doesn't even work anymore. So I got to give you a new voice inside that heart of yours. The Holy Spirit has to be in us if we're going to follow Jesus Christ. But at the first, God held back and slowly put the Holy Spirit into people because he had to overcome Jewish prejudices. You know what the Jews still think? They're the only people that God cares about. That's what they, they still think that. And so here's God saying, no, I care about the Samaritans too. And let me prove it. And they had the same miraculous power that the Jews had. Amen. They're brethren now. Well, guess what? Look at verse 18. Simon wants that power. Verse 18, he picks up there. And when Simon saw that through laying on of hands, laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given. So he offered them what? Simon has discovered a greater power than he'd ever known. He found a power. He's, he's, he's found a power that transforms lives, doesn't just deceive people. He's found a power that turns hated enemies into family. He's found a power that heals the most impossible of diseases. He's found a power that gives people the ability to preach and speak the gospel in languages that had never heard it before. And as I said, Every believer needs the Holy Spirit in them. And Simon says, sign me up. I'll start handing it out. <laughs> Here, give me that power and I'll put the Holy Spirit in people. You know, those kind of Simons are still around today. Come to my church and I'll deal out the Holy Spirit, man. But it costs. Anyway, Simon wants that power now. He's, uh, you know, and he offers to buy that power. I thought about this. I thought, why would he offer money 
because he's always bought all of his tricks. Every magician pays good money for a good trick. And so he's, for all of his sorceries, for all of his drugs, for all of his performance, he's paid good money. So here, here's money. Give me that power. But God is about to reveal a deep disease in, uh, in Simon's heart that needed to be healed before it poisons the whole work of God in that church. See, people are getting healed from diseases in their bodies. There were miracles, demons being cast out, but there was a disease that was coming that nobody was aware of. It's far more dangerous because it was affecting people's souls and their spirit. You see, Simon's problem was much deeper. Look at verse 20. But Peter said unto him, thy money perish with thee. <laughs> wow. Um, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this manner, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thoughts of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive, put a star by this verse, that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. I mean, here's a guy who just turns to Simon and says, your heart is not right with God. Now, I, I guarantee you, Peter hasn't met him before. But when he hears a man trying to buy a gift, he says, something's wrong in your heart. I perceive that thou art in the goal of bitterness and you are a slave in the bondage of iniquity and sin. Now, Simon's as saved as you and me. But there's something still wrong in his heart, and we need to get this because we're now going to stay here for a while. I have to, uh, can you imagine, can you imagine Simon's expression? I mean, all he did was, I mean, he had money. He always did it before, and he puts out the money. He has no idea that his heart is eat up with a disease that is going to not only destroy his life, but destroy that church that was being started there. So he's shocked at this. How would you respond if somebody just came out and pointed out something that only God knows about your heart? You'd probably be shocked. Boy, that preacher, he's very offensive. <laughs> that wasn't a nice welcome I got at that church. Simon has a right answer. Look at verse 24. I like Simon. Then answered Simon and said, I don't know how to pray to the Lord. You pray, pray ye to the Lord for me that none of these things which he has spoken come upon me. I don't want any of this to go wrong. And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem and they preached the gospel in many villages in the Samaritans. Simon was horrified at how wrong he was. Here's, here's, here's the thing. I have no intention to ever offend anybody or upset anybody, but I don't hold back. And if I do offend you, you have one of two choices. If by my preaching, it upsets you, you have one or two choices. Take it personally or take it personally. <laughs> one way of taking it personally is I'm your enemy. And don't do that. The other is to go, I'm wrong. Thank you. And Simon took the second option. We're in a day where nobody 
allow somebody to hurt them with just words, with counsel, with rebuke, with guidance that may be not what they want. You know why most people don't come and ask my advice? Because they know I'll disagree. <laughs> but don't take that as an offense. Simon, instead of getting upset at Peter, boy, those Christians down there in Jerusalem are really rough. He doesn't say that. He says, pray for me. I don't want this to happen to me. Whatever is wrong with me, I want right. Simon's got a right answer. So he asked Peter to pray for him. Help me not to be that way. And let me just say this. When God cuts into your heart, cuts deep into your heart, whether you're reading your Bible, whether you're at, at, at church and preaching, whether someone says something that exposes a, a, a wound or a hurt, you would do well to at least admit that maybe you have a deep problem that God is trying to expose. It needs to be healed just as much as if a doctor says, you have cancer. What's amazing is the apostles head back home satisfied. Let's go back up there to verse 21. Verse 21, it says, Thou hast neither part nor lot in this manner, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee, for I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness. Now what did you notice how many times the word heart is in there? What is the gall of bitterness? It's a heart disease. If something is a heart, it's invisible. Man looketh on the outward appearance. What is the, where does the Lord look? He looks on the heart. You know, it was an amazing thing. Now, it killed the inventors of it. But when, uh, when the x-ray machine was invented, they were all of a sudden able to see inside a body without cutting it open. You have a Bible that can see inside your heart and is a gift. And Simon was exposed of a disease that he didn't know he had. And this is, this is more, this is like a physical heart disease. Did you know, I have found that most people don't know they have heart disease until they have the stroke. I appreciate doctors who run tests and they find out you have a possibility you're gonna have a heart attack and that's all wonderful. But the majority of us are walking around time bombs. Our heart has something wrong with it and it takes that amount of stress that instant incident, that bit of extra exercise, and boom, you're down. And they're trying to resuscitate you because you had heart disease. And this heart disease was poisoning the heart of this new believer and was eating it from the inside out. And I'm telling you, Christians are eat up with the gall of bitterness. The gall of bitterness is a hurt that we haven't recovered from. Someone hurt us. Maybe it was small. Maybe it was big. Maybe it happened yesterday. Or maybe it happened 55 years ago when I was a kid. Did you ever have a bully while you're walking down the school hall? <laughs> Actually, when I was that age, they didn't have deep voices at that point. And you're looking up and the tears are filling in your eyes. Somebody hurt you. Being laughed at and made fun of. Look at Ledbetter's big ears. Oh, Dumbo. I was, that, that's a real thing I had to face. 
Come to find out these are fine looking ears, amen. Somebody hurt you maybe when they robbed you. Took advantage of you. Think of the hurt when somebody is raped. When somebody is constantly let down by false promises and fake love. Folks, even just being disappointed, just, just being upset and offended by somebody else turns into bitterness without us even knowing it. Have you noticed how many, how many companies are now setting up safe spaces? How, even in the American military, they have to set up safe spaces in case you're offended. Take the guns away from them people. Okay, <laughs> they shouldn't be in the military. <laughs> when all of that is happening and we've never recovered from it. You may not believe it, but all hurts can be recovered from. Let me repeat that. All hurts can be recovered from, but only by yielding to the supernatural work of the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart. You're not going to recover it on your own. What is the goal of bitterness? It is a resentment of someone being better off while we are still hurting. I want to talk to you why Peter finds that this and exposes this in Simon just a minute. I'll make the connection. But bitterness is a resentment of someone. You've been hurt and they keep walking and they never get in trouble for it. It's, it's unjust. It's unfair. And you're left hurting. Now, here's where the connection is. Simon as is almost always the case, evidently had taken on this power trip of being a great one, of being somebody who had power over people. People worshipped him. Where'd that come from? Came from, evidently, because someone heard him long before in this sorcery, these drugs, this trickery was a way to have power over people so they would never hurt him again. Did you know most bullies were bullied? There's many a bully who were severely bullied. And so why did they become a bully? So that nobody ever hurt them again. That's how it happens. It's a self-righteous attitude. When we've been hurt, guess what? We feel justified being angry about it. <laughs> oh, I feel good being angry. <laughs> Resentment and bitter anger just feels right. It's a, an addiction you can get into. It gives us a full sense of power in our heads over the person who hurt us. But it's not, it's not in our power to take vengeance. That belongs to who? Go to Romans. Hold your place here. Go to Romans chapter 12. One book over. Romans chapter 12 and verse 19. <clears throat> Romans 12 and verse 19. Starting back in verse 18, because it kind of, it's, uh, it's an encouragement to us. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Well, what about those I can't live peaceably with? Verse 19 says, dearly beloved. <laughs> Avenge not yourselves. Somebody hurts you, do not strike back, but rather give place unto wrath. I wonder whose wrath. 
means get out of the way and let somebody else deal with that problem. Give place under wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy who has hurt you, if they hunger, what do you do with them? Poison them, right? Now, what does it say? Feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. For in so doing, you're heaping coals of fire on him. Hallelujah. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Bitterness is a refusal to forgive. That's it. Now, I've left, I've left the harshest statement for last for a reason. If, you're, if, if you cannot forgive somebody, I guarantee you, you're in the gall of bitterness. You're in the bondage of iniquity if you cannot forgive someone because you are refusing to forgive. Let's be very honest. It is hard to forgive people who have hurt you. It is hard to forgive the person who just robbed you. Ah, do you want my wallet too? <laughs> that just doesn't happen. It is hard to forgive somebody who takes advantage of you again and again, and you're kind, and they still step on you. It is the worst feeling when somebody succeeds at your expense. They take all the credit. You did all the work. That hurts. It's hard to forgive those who ignore you and never meet your needs, never care about you. But the problem with Listen, the problem with bitterness is that you is not that you cannot forgive. It is that you refuse to. Now, what's wrong with withholding forgiveness? Of all the evil, destructive things that can happen to us Christians, all the things that can come against us, the worst is what comes out of us. Did you get that? Resentment is one of the worst. Another word for bitterness is resentment. It's like a killer germ. It's an infection working invisibly to gain power over us and to destroy us. No right-thinking person would, I, would ingest, here, let me try this new disease. Let me just put it in my arm. Let me just see what happens. Nobody would allow a deadly germ into their body knowing that that germ will eventually kill them. Nobody would. Yet many Christians... When they discover the deadly poison of bitterness in them, they hold on to it and they nurse it and they feed it, even though it is far more destructive than any germ or virus could ever be. So bitterness becomes a poison that fills every thought and desire and act until it consumes us. I believe bitterness is one of the worst enemies of our relationships. What divides a husband and wife? It's not hurt. Hurt is not what causes a problem in the marriage. Finances, uh, I don't know, loss, grieving doesn't destroy. Bitterness does. Bitterness gets in there and we don't even know it. And then it has eaten us up. Now, I'm not, I'm not devaluing the fact that that person hurt you. Believe me, that person who hurt you will pay. But you got to leave it to God because I don't think you really want them to go to hell. I don't think you really want them to be punished because if God were to start marking off iniquities, none of us would stand. So let's leave it to him. Bitterness is one of our worst enemies. It's worse than the enemy that hurts you. Did I say that? You don't know what he did. Doesn't matter. Your bitterness is worse than what they did. 
According to God, it destroys friendships. It turns the best of friends into enemies. It divides husband and wives. It makes husband and wives hate each other. I don't think anybody could ever sit in a true divorce court hearing without weeping and listening to these two people who maybe two years earlier were so madly in love, planning together, just joy together. And now if they had knives, <laughs> it splits churches. It has, it has brought down entire nations. But the most damaging effect of resentment is the destruction to the one who holds it. Here's a story. A pastor was called to a hospital bed bedside of a dying man. He was a man who nobody liked. He was a hard, bitter, angry man. He lived out on the edge of town. And when he would go into town, he made it clear he didn't want to speak to anyone. He said, that's my husband. <laughs> he didn't want anybody to speak to him. Even the children ran away from him. <laughs> the people wondered what made him so bitter. So mean. Some thought that he had a guilty secret. Others were sure that he had committed some terrible crime and that he was a fugitive from justice. <laughs> but they were all wrong. Simple truth was when he was a young man, a very close friend did him wrong and it hurt him deeply. He became so angry that he said, I will remember what that friend did to me until my dying day. And he did. And as he lay in that hospital bed, barely breathing, he said to that pastor who sat by his bedside, I've gone over that act every morning. I've thought about it every night. I've cursed that man a hundred times a day. I have wished only that that man would die. As he gasped for breath, he painfully continued, yet now, only now, do I see that my bitterness has devoured my soul. And in the end, my hate has hurt nobody but myself. Only God knows how much my bitterness has turned my life into hell. The only cure, go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 is to go for the root. Hebrews chapter 12 in verse 15 Hebrews 12, 15 says, looking diligently. It's kind of like you lose your car keys. What are you doing? You're looking diligently, all right? <laughs> well, do personal inventory and start looking at chapter 12, verse 15, looking diligently lest any man. Does that include everybody in this room? Does that include every woman in this room? Does that include every young person in this room? Lest any man fail of the grace of God. To fail means to neglect, to tap into it, to starve without the grace of God. He said, let's read it again. Verse 8, looking diligently, seeking, lest any one of us fail of the grace of God, lest any flower of bitterness. Bitterness never produces flowers. <laughs> what do you have to go for if you're going to go for bitterness? bitterness? the root, lest any root of bitterness, oh, springing up, trouble you, and thereby many be defiled, ruined, destroyed, poisoned. 
The only cure is to go for the root, which means you have to forgive the one who hurt you long ago. Ephesians 4, Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 31. Ephesians 4, in verse 31. Somebody, mm. uh, Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, clamor is screaming, yelling, and evil speaking, that's saying things you wish you hadn't said, be put away from you with all malice. Now I need, um, can you come up here for a second? This is my record of what Gavin has done to hurt me. I am furious. And I will never, ever let go. And the Lord tells me, there is bitterness eat up inside of you, let better, and you will die in his poison. Try to pull it out of my hand. I'm not going to let you do it. Now sit down. Gleb, come up here. He may have even tried to apologize. I'm not going to let you have it. And then the Lord tapped me on the shoulder. Now, try to take this from me. No. No, I'm not. No. It means that, it means that, that he gets away with it. And the Lord says, no. Try it again. Keep trying. What does the Bible say? Let all bitterness and wrath and clamor and anger and evil speaking be put away from you. Put some distance. Take it away, Lord. You can go sit down now. <laughs> you know what that word put away means? Divorce. Instead of divorcing the woman, why don't you divorce the bitterness? Amen. Instead of divorcing your friend, Divorce the bitterness. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness means to forgive someone. Uh, to forgive someone means to let whoever hurt you off the hook. Let me say it this way. Off your hook. You've got them, at least in your mind. I'm going to one day get them. And it's just in your mind. <laughs> I'm going to. Uh, and they're, they're living their life. They don't even know you they, did you hurt. To forgive someone means to let them off your hook and let them go free to forgive somebody wrote it this way is to turn the key and open the prison door that you've tried to imprison your enemy with and let that person go free that's what jesus did for us isn't that awesome to forgive is to write in large letters above a huge debt nothing owed you don't owe me anything. Well, they never apologize. Did you know they don't have to apologize for you to forgive? The only reason why I forgive is because he first forgave me. Wow. To forgive is to relax a stranglehold in your mind that you have maintained for years on your opponent and then walking home as free as the person who you just let go. Isn't that awesome? It is when you hurt 
but you no longer try and hurt the other person back. I'm not saying you won't hurt, but you will, for the first time in your life, start to heal. Isn't that awesome? To forgive is to realize that since Christ forgave you, there is no one that you should not forgive. It is most of all being able to tell them, I forgive you. You know, they probably don't even know they hurt you. And you're not trying to be hurtful back or braggadocious, but it may help them realize, I'm sorry, I didn't know I did that. Many a husband doesn't even know how much they've hurt their wife by the things they've said, the way they've said it, the things they've ignored. And if the wife ever says, I forgive you, that husband all of a sudden shudders. <laughs> what have I done now? <laughs> but it'd be good, very humbling to go, I didn't know. What if you don't forgive? Oh, then you'll be like Simon. Still in the bondage. You're saved. You're going to heaven. But you're in the bondage, the slavery, the prison of iniquity, of the sin of unforgiveness. Unforgiveness, if you don't forgive, what you're doing is you're giving Satan a key to the front door of your life. Oh, here's Tom. Tom's got a nice house. And Tom decides, oh, there's a nice guy going across the road. He's got a knife. <laughs> he's, he's got piercings in every square inch of his face. Here's the key to my house. <laughs> you wouldn't do that, would you? And yet we give Satan the very key to the very front door of our life. And we put a welcome mat saying, come on in. Where, where is that? Ephesians chapter 4, still in the same chapter. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Be angry, Woo, but sin not. You better pull back when you've gone. You may have, be upset. Somebody hurts you. It's right to get upset at an injustice. It is wrong to let it become sin. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. You better get rid of that wrath by the end of the day because verse 27 says, neither give an open door to the devil. If you don't forgive, he's going to walk right in. You probably already have. How many of you know what a vice grip is? Anybody know what a vice grip is? Now the gentlemen, yeah, that's a manly tool. Now vice grip means that when you, it's got two latches, it's got a, it's got a grip, but then it's got a click. And when it's got, the grip, it'll pull out. Something will come out of its teeth. But when it's got the click, things don't come out. And folks, let me tell you, Satan probably has a vice grip on your heart and on your past and on your thoughts and on your, your, your feelings. And the only way to break that vice grip is to do what? Say it with me. Forgive. If you won't forgive, you're giving Satan a way to come in and wreak havoc in your life. Go back to chapter 8 in Acts, and I'll see you. I'll show you why God put these two events in the same chapter. Acts chapter 8, verse 3. As for Saul, Acts 8, 3, he made what? It would be like if somebody just came in and began to throw the chairs in the air, throwing them against the wall, ripping everything down. You'd say, that's terrible. Well, that's what Saul was doing. And that was what exactly Satan wants to do with every heart that does not forgive. 
that, that event that was happening in the church was on the outside. But Simon is being used to expose that there was something far worse going on in Christian hearts because they wouldn't forgive. What if you don't forgive, you'll be the loser. You'll end up being the one poisoned, ruined, crippled, all because of a single root of bitterness maybe goes way back. It won't just be you that's the loser. Your marriage will be the loser. Your children, your grandchildren, your friends. You lose if you won't forgive everyone. Matthew chapter 6, and I'm done. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. You know this. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts that we owe you as we forgive our debtors that are owed to us. Now, that's not money debt. That's sin debt. That's hurt debt. Verse 14 goes on. He says, for if ye forgive not, if you forgive men, for if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if ye will, if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive you your sins and trespasses. It is a sin not to forgive. But it was a sin what they did to me. Yeah, let's not, let's not one up each other. All right. <laughs> let's take away one half of the equation. Let the Lord deal with the other half. Simon was enslaved to one of the most destructive sins that can ruin a Christian's life, and he didn't know it. That's bitterness. That's why we come to church. If you only came to church because you want me to tell you what you already know, then you're in the wrong church. I'm here to do heart surgery. And sometimes I don't even know I'm doing it. <laughs> I'm just preaching, and the Lord goes, there. And you go, ow. You say, I've had people come up, were you in our kitchen last night? <laughs> And I wasn't. The book was. Even though he was saved, his life was ruined. Maybe you are like Simon, shocked at the revelation that you're holding on to a po poison that's going to defile you and ruin you and make your life like hell. You want to blame everything on the outside. It's something that's wrong on the inside. Satan is wrecking havoc in our homes. We may, when we come to church, we may seem like everything's fine, but I betcha Satan's got a key somewhere coming in the back door, window, chimney. I don't care how he gets in. He's getting in. If we don't want him to have this access, then we need to decide this morning to humble ourselves and get our own heart right and soft and forgive whoever is decide, whoever you decided a long time ago was not worthy of forgiveness. Because I'm glad when God started this whole thing called the universe, he said, they're going to go against me, and boy, are they going to hate me, but I will find a way to forgive them. Until you do that, you will struggle with every past hurt. You will be played with a, a mind that ought to be full of joy. You want to have a revival? Let's get rid of bitterness. 
Who do you need to forgive today? Did someone break your heart and you can't let it go? Did someone take advantage of you? Did someone constantly tell you that you are no good? That you will never amount to anything? Did someone abandon you, neglect you, or abuse you? Forgive them. Did someone a long time ago just offend you and upset you, and you've held on to it all these years? Forgive them right now. Let them go free. Does anyone owe you an apology? Or a couple hundred? <laughs> Forgive them anyway. Yes, they need to still apologize. But you need to let go of them and leave them into God's hands and live. Trust God that he will take the revenge. Trust God that he will judge, that he will work all things together for good. Do you really want that person to go to hell? Do you really want that person? Oh, I hope that they suffer. You know, your only job is right now is to forgive. That's your only job. And you can't do it unless God helps you. And I pray and I ask that you, like, like Simon asks, pray for me. I want to pray. One of the greatest days of my life. Now, the greatest day was when I got saved. One of the greatest days of my life was when I heard a message just like this. And I went home and I, for the first time in a long time, cried. And I said, no, okay, but I don't want, okay. And I wrote a five-page letter to my dad. And I told him I loved him. And I forgive him. And I wanted to be with me in heaven one day. And I never want to ever have anything come between me and him ever again. He's my dad, and I love him. I, it was one of the greatest days of my life where I hand-wrote that letter. I put the scripture, and I gave him the gospel. I was, it was so awesome because I didn't care what he thought. I just wanted to know he was free from what I had enslaved him in my mind since when I was 12. When he walked out of the house, I became a demon. I hated him. And even after I got saved for a full year and a half after I got saved, anytime talk about their dad, Father's Day, I hated my dad until that day. And I wrote him that letter, and he wrote me back a letter, and it wasn't friendly. <laughs> he was sort of like, I'm very offended. <laughs> but you know what? I had the best of relationship with my dad after that. It didn't undo all the wrong. It didn't make it so he came home to my mom didn't heal, didn't come and apologize to try to heal. No, Jesus healed that night that I wrote that letter, healed me. Salvation was great, but, but getting that bitterness healed, I think was just as great. Who do you need to forgive? If you say, I don't know how to do it, then you need to be forgiven today. Because if you have been forgiven, if you know that you know Jesus loved you enough to die for the punishment that you should have died for, then you can find the wherewithal by his grace to forgive. But maybe you haven't yourself received the forgiveness of, of, of Jesus, never received the gift of eternal life. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. You can just receive it. Stand with me and bow your heads, please. Heavenly Father, I, I'd like to see revival in our church. I'd like to see where there is just joy, even though we have no money, even though we, we, we're, we're under persecution, 
even though everything's going wrong, it would just be awesome to have such joy as those Samaritans had. And I think we've learned uh, there's, a, there's a problem, a heart problem, that is poisoning our homes and will poison our church and will poison our lives. And it's bitterness, resentment, proud wrath, all the Bible terms that we brush over. Simon was blessed having Peter expose that. that. That way Simon could get right and Simon could become a servant of the Most High God. God, can we receive correction this morning and a challenge to forgive? It may take us a while. May be hard, but it's necessary. So I pray you help us. Lord, I'm praying for these people. I pray they pray for me, that if there's any root of bitterness in me, and it'll always show. It'll show in my rudeness, my, my, my attitude. It'll show in my selfishness and my arrogance. God, help me to forgive. And may we all have that same prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.